This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're Taming Toddlers in episode number 177. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, ladies. It is Kristen, and I am happy to be here to talk to you about a topic that has been much requested for the podcast, and that is talking about how to tame your toddlers or just how to handle toddlers. And I've been asked to do an episode like this for a while, but the most recent question that I got, uh, a mom was mothering her own toddler and then also a stepchild because she and her husband or boyfriend had both had a little one that was about the same age. So she found herself taking care of two toddlers of about the same age and she had noticed just how very different their personalities were. And if that's one thing that I can give to you today, it is that different children have such different personalities. Now, I as a parent feel like we need to take our children's different personalities into account. I think knowing things like love languages and stuff like that, I'm not going to go into any of that right now, but you can go look up the five love languages on Amazon or I'll I'll put it in the show notes. Anyways, um, you know, I think that that there is value to that and there's value to helping, uh, you know, to coming to understand individual kids and what triggers them and what causes them to melt down and those sorts of things like studying your child or children and understanding those things in them. And also understanding what helps them to calm down is really valuable. But what I'm going to talk about today are some global things. But what I want you to realize is that it is true that children are very, very different. And you're going to have some kids that are really easy as toddlers, that are really compliant. They just kind of go with the flow. And you're going to have some who are much more independent and have, you know, they're just much stronger willed little people. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I'm talking to you as somebody who is very stubborn and opinionated. And I know I have been that way since I was a little girl. And I'm just grateful that my parents encouraged me. But at the same time, I am also a mother to eight. And I know that keeping peace in a household is important, even when you have toddlers. So I'm going to talk through some of these things, and I just want you to be aware that children are different. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have to have a completely different way of handling things with each child. But do be respectful of that. And also realize that if you have one child who feels really tough, it may not necessarily be your parenting. I look, for example, I've got an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. They're two years apart. They've been raised in the same household under the same circumstances all the way through. And their personalities are so, so different. One of them is laid back, helpful, protective of me. And the other one is, you know, this person thinks for themselves and wants to do things their way, doesn't really care too much about other things, and isn't inclined to help so much and that's not to paint one as good or bad because I think that that independent streak like I said it's you know it's there in me right so I respect that Um, but it can make people hard to live with but you know I think that that each one has strengths that serve in different ways but it you know parenting one of those people has been a lot harder than parenting the other one and we'll see how things play out when they're an adult but when I look at just those two kids you know if I had just those two kids it would be a good example of this and then of course I have eight so I have this broad collection and and they all have different personalities and they all have different strengths and they all have different weaknesses so what I want to encourage you is that if you're having a lot of trouble with one particular toddler or one particular child It may not be that you're doing anything quote-unquote wrong. It may just be that that child's personality is a much stronger personality, a much more forceful and assertive personality. And there is a place in the world, there's a purpose. You know, I I love the verse in Esther in the scriptures, uh, you know, who knows but you weren't brought forth for such a time as this. And I believe that for our children, that they were brought forth for such a time as this and for a purpose that's their own and isn't necessarily related to us. So anyways, that's that's a momentary tangent on just 
stepping back and seeing the little person that is here in front of you for their own individual uniqueness and for the fact that right now you feel like you're tearing your hair out because you're surrounded by rowdy toddlers and children, but actually we are raising these incredible human beings who have a purpose and whose strengths will help them throughout life. And some of their things that could be considered weaknesses or certainly inconveniences to us as parents may become strengths. And I know that because when I think about how much gray hair I must have put on my mother's head because of my stubbornness and tenacity, and then those things have just served me super, super well, and I'm grateful for them. I remember that when I'm mothering my children. So with that, again, I've been through eight toddlers. I can't claim to be any sort of toddler expert. I'm I'm a mom who has taken care of a lot of toddlers and who has here and there helped other people with their toddlers. But I, I don't have any quote-unquote expert credentials on toddlers or anything like that. Sorry, ladies. Um, but I can, I can give some solid guidelines because I do have experience as a mom. I have experience helping to create a home that is calmer and more orderly and leaves space. Um, I think an important thing to remember, even with everything that we just talked about, about strengths that come out of difficult qualities in toddlers and children, one thing to remember is that if there's constant conflict or constant mayhem, constant chaos, it's harder to to relax and enjoy and it's harder for the little person to relax and enjoy. So when we think about it, if you think about a toddler that is in somewhere that is somewhat safe, but there's somewhere that has boundaries, but they can explore in there. So say you're at one of those really cool, like, kid junkyard playgrounds. I might can find an article on on those to, to link to them if you don't know what I'm talking about. But you're on one of those cool junkyard playgrounds, and so your toddler knows that inside this fence... There's hammers and there's boards and there's older kids. That's, an, you know, they're working with older kids and they're they're just able to be free and do whatever. And you're kind of on the other side of the fence doing your thing, watching, maybe trying not to watch too close, but they get to explore. And then consider your toddler in a real junkyard, right? Where it just goes on. It feels like I one of the houses that I lived in, had a, I mean, it wasn't a junkyard. It was a scrapyard. They had it remarkably organized. But still, when you looked at it, it was, you know, a whole bunch of old cars. And it felt like they just went on and on and on and on, like there was no end to it, right? And so if we think about the toddler in the first circumstance where it's a park that's got strong boundaries and the toddler is able and free to roam and they can look over and see you compared to, say, a toddler wandering forlornly through some huge scrapyard, and it's just, one, there is a sense of boundary that gives the child the freedom and security to explore. The second is a situation where there's not any boundaries. And so there's constant anxiety. Children feel a lot more anxiety than we realize that they do. Or maybe we realize it, but we don't label it. So they feel anxiety. So when a toddler is completely in charge of his or her own day, schedule, routine, everything... There's a lot of anxiety, and that anxiety is heightened because of your tension levels and your stress levels. And I'm not telling you that you're a mean mom if your toddler is, quote-unquote, running the show, and you're stressed out because you're spending all day long chasing your toddler around and trying to put out tiny toddler-sized fires. That's This isn't anything to heap guilt on you, but it's to say... That if you're spending every day at the whim of your toddler and your toddler's demands and meltdowns, then you're not the calm person that you need to be. You're also not taking care of you very well. You're not modeling great boundaries for your toddler. And your toddler doesn't know how you'll react. Because one moment you might be happy to follow him. And then the next you're screaming like a maniac. Because your toddler's doing something super dangerous. Or because you finally hit the end of your rope. And now you've exploded. And that so that situation and the emotional vol- volatility in that isn't good for toddlers. It isn't good for children. It's why I'm okay with moms being in survival mode, as y'all know from listening to some of the recent podcasts. Our, our family had a profound crisis that left me as a single mom of eight. We were in survival mode for a long time. And my household existed in a level just 
barely above chaos. And today, I'm almost four years away from that that event, and there's still lingering residual stuff. Like, I would say that Phoenix, who is four, as I'm recording this, is still, he's still a little bit closer, closer to a little guy from the book Where the Wild Things Are than he is to, you know, a well-mannered, civilized young preschooler. But I love him anyways, you know, but there are things that we are having to work on slowly, bad habits and just patterns and behaviors that were picked up and used when we were in survival mode because that's all we could be. And so that's a place that many of y'all are coming from, though, hopefully not from extreme circumstances, hopefully just from, you know, I don't, I didn't really know any better or I didn't really know how to create or structure this or I've got this strong-willed little person that kind of just stumbled all over everything. So what I'm trying to say to sum it up is that with loving boundaries, your toddler feels much more free because he or she knows what to expect from you. You feel calmer because you realize that even though you honor and respect your toddler and your toddler's needs and wants and you give room and space for your toddler to grow and to develop and to explore and to experiment and also you can hold the space while your toddler experiences really big emotions, you're able to be calm because you know at the end of the day you have routines and structures and boundaries in place that help you take care of your toddler and that also help you calm down. And I might do more on that, another podcast episode down the line if y'all are interested in that. You can email me and let me know uh, about strategies to calm down as a mom because it's it's something that I've found, you know, I think all moms find it challenging. Every mom is going to lose it and yell at her kid at some point and Every mom is going to be exhausted and burnt out and jaded and cynical and all of that. It can't all be wonderful, even though much of it can. But a lot can help. A lot can help you cope and do better. But today, let's talk about toddlers because I think that getting a handle on toddler behavior can often be a good first step. So you've probably heard a bit in what I've said already. But first and foremost, toddlers and young children even older children, are creatures of routine and habit. They like routines. They like habits. All all toddlers and young children tend to do better. So this is that overarching boundary. So when I gave an analogy a minute ago, I gave an analogy that included literal physical boundaries. And you may have thought that I was talking about rules, But I want you to actually conceptualize that the routine and rhythm of your day is the primary boundary that holds your child and gives him or her the ability to let go of stress and anxiety and feel calm exploring within those boundaries and exploring within the predictability that is therein. Now, when I share with moms... And this is the usually the very first thing that I share with moms who are struggling with toddler behavior or with chaotic households is get a routine in place. And moms protest for many different reasons. Like some moms are like, I don't want to follow a routine for myself. That doesn't feel good to me. I want to be able to be spontaneous and do what I want and go where I want. And I'm not saying that you necessarily have to take spontaneity out of your day. Like I realize that we are living in this society right now that, I mean, we're kind of in this pandemic still kind of in the tail end of the pandemic, hopefully moving towards the aftermath. But, and that's limited some people, but we're in this place that kind of idealizes flexibility and spontaneity and individuality and the ability to jet around and do whatever you want, whenever you want. And that is even reflected uh, in family life or somehow expected that that's going to happen after family life. And I think what we do as adults is we take things that we value or see in adults or or particularly in young adult culture, like that's that jet setter 20s age type thing. And then we, we project that onto young children or we're clinging to that for ourselves when maybe it's not, it's not the best fit. For creatures, aka tiny humans we call toddlers and young children, they really need rhythm and routine. And if you think about it globally, humanity 
really sticks with rhythm and routine because that's the way that our world is. It may look a little bit different depending on where you are in the world, but there are seasons pretty much everywhere in the world. Where I live in northern Michigan, we have four pretty distinct seasons, though sometimes it feels like spring is iffy. But we have four pretty distinct seasons that includes a snowy season, which I'm currently, as I record this, praying goes away soon. (laughs) But we, you know, in other areas of the world, you probably also do have two. Even if you don't have snow, you may have a rainy season or whatever. So you've got seasonal flow to the year. And it's cyclical. It comes and goes with a relative predictability. And then we also have cyclical days. The sun goes down, the sun comes up. And it happens again and again and again. And throughout human history, we as human beings have been nurtured by these cycles, the cycle of the seasons, the cycle of the day. Many cultures have looked to the cycle of the moon. There are all these cyclical things that we honor. We as women are cyclical beings. We have cycles throughout our childbearing years that repeat again and again and again. And then also as humans, we've built onto that where in every culture you go to, there are traditions that happen at certain times of the year. And they may have an agricultural origin or they may have a national origin, but they happen in cycles. We, you know, they they aren't really a moving target. Even if you look at calendars, say like the Jewish calendar where they, they seem to change, it only swaps around because we see some differences in like the Gregorian calendars and the um, like the Jewish calendar, the Jewish reckoning of the years. And then they have a different way of accommodating for the fact that solar and lunar cycles don't sync up. Like in the United States, we have leap years to accommodate for that. And in their calendar, they add an extra month here and there. And so it's, but what we see is that regardless of the culture or how it looks as compared to a modern calendar. Those things are cyclical and they happen at particular times of the year and with particular dates and related to particular seasons and those sorts of things. So I don't want to go on and on about this for too long, but what I'm hoping that you see is that kind of contrary to the individualistic, you know, what works for me is what works and, and what's right for me is what's right mindset that we seem to have about scheduling and life in general is that humans are are pretty routine creatures and have relied on routines and cycles. And so our children, in many ways, are when they come to us, they're still primed for that reality. They're not quite to our liberated, get on a jet and go wherever you want regardless and, and do whatever you want, electric lights everywhere so you can be up writing a blog post at 3 a.m. You know, it's just different for them. And when you can honor that, then it becomes a powerful force for good for you and your child. Now, another argument that I frequently hear when I suggest a routine is that I tried that. My toddler had meltdowns. It was just terrible. And what I want to encourage you is that things often get worse before they get better. That was well-timed, wasn't it? My preschooler running into my door. Yes, baby. One second, ladies. Okay, I'm back, ladies. So anyways, it may get worse before it gets better. And I've actually really found that to be true with my kids. Like I said, we had a lot of trauma. We were living in survival mode. We're progressively coming out of survival mode to the point where I feel like we have pretty routine days and things are going so relatively speaking well. Um, and some days I just marvel and I, I have to feel proud of myself and my children for how far we've come. But we've also come through a lot of whining and a lot of is, and I'm still dealing with a lot of that as I sort of help my children realize that we did live in survival mode for a while, but now we have expectations like that schoolwork needs to get done when it's supposed to get done and that we do chores at certain times and all of that. It's all a work in progress. Uh, But with toddlers especially, if you decide to start a routine where there hasn't been a routine at all, you may get some serious toddler backlash. But I want to encourage you, unlike what I'm talking about in my family where it's been a bit of a lengthy thing, which part of that is because of me overcoming my own trauma and then also I'm guiding so many small people 
and trying to juggle so much uh, as a single parent of a bunch of, of people. But, you know, if you're doing this with just a toddler or a toddler or two, I would say, you know, give it a commitment, stick it out. Say, we're going to stick it out expecting that the worst is, worst is going to pass in, the, in a couple weeks. And then we're going to tweak. And another thing that you need to remember with routines is you may go sit down after this podcast episode and write out a beautiful daily routine that you feel will be completely nurturing. And then when you try and implement it, you realize that it is just not working for you at all. And for your children at all. And I mean, I found that I, I work up a schedule at the beginning of every school year. Like I redo our school schedule. And that schedule extends throughout the whole day. And I in, invariably end up making tweaks to it. And like even with my own morning routine. Like I set out a new morning routine. Tweak the school schedule for the spring semester. And I realized that, you know, it's just not working. The order even that I had put for my morning routine didn't work. So in the first couple days I was tweaking and puzzling things out and figuring out what worked better when. And my family uses a schedule, like we have a schedule that is on a spreadsheet. But if you only have one or two young children, you may not have to use a formal schedule, a routine, like a rhythm of your day that you know and that you stick with uh, might be sufficient. But again, realize that it may get worse before it gets better. You may realize that some things need to be tweaked, but I would encourage you to anticipate I may have to tweak some things, not I'm going to can it all together. Instead, look at it, learn from it. You may have decided that your toddler gets up at a certain time and goes down for a nap at a certain time, and that nap time just isn't working. Maybe your toddler has actually been up for too long at that point, and they're super cranky. And so that's something that you would adjust because they're so cranky and wired that they can't go to sleep. So you adjust that. You watch your toddler for for sleepy signs and you you pull that nap earlier in the day. So that's just one thing. Or you realize that my toddler is going too long between meals or whatever. So you will realize that certain things uh, another one is another common one is oh I want to have this activity time with my toddler but then everybody is frazzled from the cleanup and then we immediately have to go make a meal and it just doesn't work. Or I choose this fun activity that I'm going to do with my toddler just before nap time and it gets them really wound up and that's not working. So there are common things that come up and you tweak those and you work those out. But it will really, really, really help you if you create a routine for your toddler's day, because that creates predictability for your toddler. He or she knows the general order of things and feels much better and much less anxious. You're also able to carve out times of the day to be with your toddler, to be really present, and to do things that you want to do with your toddler, which is something that many of us aren't able to do because we're so wrapped up in the busyness of life. I mean, I will grant that, for example, for me, the past couple of days, um, I'm at the end of a, of a school term as I'm creeping my way through finishing my schooling. So next week is the end of a, of a subterm for my school, and I'm trying to wrap up because next week as I'm recording this also happens to be my birthday week, and I'm wanting to take a couple days off to relax. So I'm trying to finish up school, and I'm also working on getting some podcasts recorded, and I'm also working on this, and I'm working on that, and I'm homeschooling, and I'm doing everything else that I do. So... I haven't been as present for my kids. I've spent a lot of time telling them, okay, I need you to go play because mama is trying to finish X, Y, Z. And what a routine does is a routine helps us avoid having that happen every day. There may be times or seasons where you're really busy and where you guys get off schedule. Holidays, those sorts of things. I would even encourage if you've got small children, even if your summer routine is different, then your routine for the rest of the year, try and have a routine. But you may go on vacation, there are holidays, there may be illness, there may be days when you want to do something spontaneous. But if you have a core routine that you follow most of the time, you can come back to that. So I know that for us, when we start our school week next week, uh, I will have a much lower, lighter workload because I'm going to have done so much this week. But I know that we'll be back 
to our normal routine and that that routine is familiar and that will nurture all of us and will also give me time to do things with my kids that are really important to me. Like I like reading aloud to my kids. I like cooking with my kids. It doesn't matter what you like doing, but all of those things will really, really help you and your little ones. If you know, if they know that these things are there and they're predictable and it helps you and your mother's heart if you're able to do things that you want to do. So important things to do are to start, I would start with simple times. So plan meal times and sleep times. Those are usually the easiest things to start with. And then you might jot down some things you'd like to do. Take a walk with your toddler, read to your toddler, have a playtime with your toddler. Those are different things. And there may be things that you need to get done, like a work block or a chore time. And your toddler can participate in some of this on some levels. And on some of it, you may need to strategically plan that, okay, I'm going to sit down and work on my book while my toddler naps. But you can think through those things. And I've talked a lot about routines already. I know that we're already, we've already been talking for a while. And I don't want to go on and on and on into the nuances of creating a routine. I just want to encourage you that that should be the foundation of ordering the day for you and your toddler or your toddlers or your children. I would also encourage that you consider having an independent playtime somewhere in that routine for your toddler. It should be in a safe space with toddler-appropriate toys. I have a little chart, like for Phoenix and also for Sadie, Uh, who is seven, but I have a little chart because both of them still have a time that is an alone play time. And that chart says what toy they play with on what day of the week. And those toys can come out at other times during the week, but for the most part, they feel fresh and new because they're only playing with them about once a week. And then they stay put up actually in my closet. And and it helps that playtime to be more exciting for them too because they know that they're going to really enjoy that toy that they get to get out at that time. So that's just an idea. And I also have a podcast about teaching your toddler to have an alone time, which I can link in the show notes. So again, remember we talked about toddlers are different. They have different personalities and you need to evaluate your toddler's needs. But a rule of thumb for handling toddler behavior, regardless of your child, is that you need to teach. I think it was Weston A. Price who said it. You teach, you teach, you teach. You need to teach toddlers. If you look at your toddler and you're just in shock because you're certain that you're seeing a tiny caveman or cavewoman in front of you rather than a cultivated, cultured human being. It may be that you need to teach things. We've been at this game of life for quite a while. If you're a mother, you've been at this for a while. There are many things that you take for granted. There are societal norms that you understand. There are habits that you already have. There's so much that you have but that your child may not realize. And so if your child is having problems with a behavior, the first thing you should do once you're both calm is to step back and ask, is there something that I need to teach my child to do? Do I need to teach my child to sit still? Do I need to teach my child to carry their dishes? Do I need to teach, this is a big one, I find table manners. Do I need to teach table manners? My children had atrocious table manners coming out of that survival mode period, which when I'm not even quite sure what we ate, much less worried about table manners. But I realized I need to teach table manners and I need to teach asking to be excused from the table. I need to teach clearing my place. There's so much that we need to teach. If your toddler is like a little hurricane going through the house, a little whirling dervish, and they leave a trail of toys in their wake that's, you know, two feet thick, you may need to teach your child to clean up after themselves. There are other things you might need to do, like decluttering toys, minimizing access, rotating toys. All of these are strategies in our mom toolbox. But you may also need to teach your child. So in any situation, ask yourself, do I need to teach? Another related tip to this that works really well for older children too, and even your toddler, remember toddlers' receptive language, their ability to hear and understand what you're saying is more advanced than their speech, their expressive language. They can understand more than they can express themselves. You still don't want to go over their head, but... and nor do you want to necessarily lecture, showing 
toddlers what to do using pictorial language, such as our feet go in boots before we go out in the snow, can be really helpful with toddlers. But you can still teach uh, your toddlers a lot. And what I was saying is, I like um, Nicolene Peck from Teaching Self-Government. She talks about this concept that's called pre-teaching. And that's where when you're on the way to a situation, for example, you're on the way to the grocery store or you're on the way to the library, on the way to the library for story time, you would talk to your child about appropriate behavior and remind them of appropriate behavior because that that pre-teaching can really save you a lot of stress. One that I can think of that I need to use more with my children is we're going to a situation with other adults Remember not to interrupt. Come up and wait beside mama if you need mama. So that that's just an example of pre-teaching. And it's important to do because it helps you review and make sure your child understands your expectations. And it also helps you understand what are reasonable expectations to have. It just gives you a moment to evaluate and gives you a moment to, to talk to them. And then again, any of those practical skills... Any situation where you're seeing meltdowns and things like that occur, you may need to think about, do I need to teach in this instance? And sometimes it's teaching things like, there are times that we cannot eat. My family loves this series of graphic novels that uh, are called With the Light. And it's a series of graphic novels by a Japanese artist who wrote this story about a young boy with autism. And... His name is Hikaru. And there is a scene where Hikaru's mom is telling him there are times that we cannot eat. And Hikaru just repeats that over and over again very mournfully. It's a, an adorable scene. But it's a great maxim that I have used with my own children is there are times that we cannot eat. Which is basically there are times between meals and snacks that we don't eat. That might be something that you need to teach your child. And I, I like that example too because it's very matter of fact. It's like there are times that we cannot eat. And then you're able to be matter-of-fact and, and non-emotional. One thing that routines and schedules also help you do, to jump back to those for a minute, is they help you to be more matter-of-fact and separated. The emotion isn't in it as much because the routine or the schedule says that it's time to do this. Now, of course, in truth, you created that. But then it becomes an entity in and of itself. And it allows you to be more matter of fact. Now you also may end up sobbing in the bathroom tonight because you say the schedule says the children were supposed to go to bed at 7.30 and it's now 9.30 and they're running through the house screaming. That happens, mama. I just want to encourage you that that happens. And you feel like, like when my dad was visiting several months ago, I felt like a failure like every night because the schedule said the kids were going to bed at a certain time. And yet long after that time, there would be children popping out, green daddy, mama, I need water. I need this. I need that. And it's like, oh my gosh. So yeah, life is real, but it's also something that you work towards and that you strive towards and that you baby step into a better and better routine that, that holds everybody's needs and where there's like you know, that's one thing that we, we need to really work on is our bedtime routine. Our, our afternoons and evenings aren't going as smoothly as our mornings and early afternoons right now. So even I have things that I need to tweak. And you realize that and you just move towards the goal one baby step at a time because your child sees you growing and you realize that you're growing and it increases everybody's resilience and it increases everybody's joy in life if you give yourself a measure of grace, mama. With that, let's talk about toddler emotions, which can be really, really, really big. So the important thing with emotions is to realize that they don't control your toddler's emotions, don't control your toddler, and they don't control you. Neither one of you may have figured that out yet, but that's okay. So when toddlers have really big emotions... I think that it's usually best to give a minute for those emotions to simmer down. And usually for me, I like for that to be somewhere in a safe space. So if my toddler is having a complete meltdown, one thing I will often do is I will put the toddler in my lap, sometimes facing away from me if they're unhappy. But a lot of times a toddler having an emotion is okay. They want to be held by you. Sometimes they don't. Um, and then we have what we call the calm down spot, which is in the laundry room. That room in my house is right off the main family area. There is no door 
in our laundry room anymore. It's just open uh, because that's easier for me because I've also got a freezer and a pantry and stuff in there. And so when my toddler or preschooler or older children or me (laughs) is standing there or sitting there taking a minute to breathe, they're not isolated from the rest of the family. And with a young toddler, I think it's helpful if you have a calm down spot, if you use this as a strategy, it's not a timeout, it's a calm down spot, that it's helpful for you to be there nearby, right there. Because we don't necessarily want to teach our children that when we have big emotions, you know, we we separate. Because that that can be a little bit unnerving for a child. Now with an older kid, like a sulky teenager or whatever, I don't have any problem saying, you know, if you can't be nice, please go to your room. But with a little one, you may want to hold the space for those emotions. Not pander to them, not cater to them, but hold the space for them. Like, for example, if I had a toddler who was having a meltdown in the middle of a store, I would leave my buggy, take my toddler, and go to the car and let them calm down. And then depending on the situation, I might go in and finish shopping or I might just go home and shop later. So that... In that situation, you're still holding your toddler's space. I remember a time, I don't remember which child it was, but we were at a library story time and one of my little people was starting to have a meltdown and I just walked with them to an area of the library that was a little bit away from the story time group around a corner and we just stood there kind of right next to the wall. I think I had the child in my arms and after a minute, the child calm down. Like I said, I don't remember who it was, so I don't remember to say he or she. But just sitting there kind of staring at the wall in that corner in my arms, I was breathing so that I was relaxed. And a minute after a minute, they realized they were done hollering. And I was able to talk to them. And you can give your child affirmation. uh, You know, gosh, those are some big emotions. Or it seems like you felt some big things. Sort of starting to give them some words to use. And then you can also give them strategies to handle like, you know, when we feel big emotions, we can take a minute to calm down. And then we can talk about it. And that when you move forward, especially as your child starts to get older can transition into we feel big emotions, and it's okay to feel big emotions. And then we don't have to let those emotions make our decisions. We can calm down and make other decisions or we can feel big emotions and hard emotions and then we can choose to shift out of that. So those are those are conversations that may not be on toddler level, but you're setting the roots for those and you're holding the space for those. Then I would start to think about if you've got a toddler who's melting down, why is this happening? What expectations have I set up? What's going on? Are there boundaries? Are there limits? Is my toddler used to getting his or her own way? Can they not? This is another thing from Nicolene from Teaching Self-Government. Can they accept a no answer? Or do they tend not to get no answers and they don't like hearing them? And then, of course, with toddlers, is my toddler overly tired? Has it been too long since they've eaten? Do they seem to be getting sick? Are they overstimulated? If you've got tantrums happening while you're out and about, are they overstimulated? And then also go back to, do I need to teach something? Do I need to teach my toddler to accept a no answer? That there are times that we cannot eat. That we're going to go to the store today, but we're not going to choose to buy anything. Do I need to set up little times to practice these things? That might be something that you need to do is practice with your toddler because they may not have mastery over these situations and they may need to learn. I'm thinking right now that I need to collect my children together and practice putting away snow gear when we come in the house. And another thing that I need, you know, this is a pre-teaching thing when we go to the store is teaching them you don't touch things in the store unless it's something that you're thinking about buying. And that might be something that I would actually consider practicing with them intentionally at the beginning of our trip is we're going to walk down an aisle in the store and we're going to practice keeping our hands to ourselves and looking and pointing and talking but not touching. So these are things that you would practice. And that's hard to do in the moment when your little one is emotional and you're in survival mode in that moment. But what I want you to realize is get in the habit of reflecting on what is going on here and what can I do 
to help my toddler do better in the future. And sometimes that's a global thing, like our life is chaos, we have no routine, Kristen, please tell me where to start. And and so you start with tiny baby steps working towards it, or sometimes it's a situational thing where you need to teach your toddler. For example, there are times that we cannot eat to help minimize those meltdowns about not getting what they want, or it's situational in that my toddler is exhausted, We need to not try and run errands at this time of day because it's just not working for us. So it's that ability to go back and look at that behavior and realize that sometimes everybody is going to melt down. Everybody is going to have a hard time. Everybody is going to be exhausted. And tomorrow, you know, tomorrow is a new day. So keep those things in mind. When your toddler triggers you, Things can be especially hard. And I realize, I'm hoping you ladies are okay with this. I know this episode is getting a bit long. But when your toddler triggers you, you need to find ways to calm down that work reliably. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is I think that one of the reasons why we have trouble with toddler behaviors is because it's triggering to us. When we've got a toddler who's melting down, we feel so stressed and frustrated with it. Or we feel like a failure as a mother because why is our toddler having a tantrum? I mean, I feel like that sometimes with Phoenix because when I look at him, I just don't think he's as well behaved as the others were at his age. And I think part of that is because I haven't had a lot of time to teach him and he's just kind of gone along with the flow. One thing that he has, which is an advantage and a disadvantage both, is he's got a bunch of older siblings who just kind of shepherd him along in their wake through life. And in some ways, that means that he hasn't gotten that direct one-on-one teaching and that careful watchfulness, like not a helicopter parent, but just watching his behavior. Because again, throughout, you know, like I said, Phoenix is four and this stuff went down in our family four years ago when he was six months old. So, you know, he's grown up in a family that has been in survival mode. And so there are little things that I notice with him. And one of the things that I've done more recently is start to really step back and look at things when I feel frustrated with him and say, what can I do to help better organize his days? But I can feel that sense of failure when I see that he's misbehaving at church or something. And it's like, oh my gosh, people's eyes are on me and this child and these other children are, I mean, it's just, oh my gosh, I feel like a failure as a mother. So what we need to do is realize when our child's behavior is triggering that in us. First of all, you're not a failure as a mom. No matter what your situation is, mothering is is difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. And managing another little person's life and helping this little person grow and develop is not always an easy thing to do. Just the logistics of keeping them fed and bathed and going from day to day, plus dealing with all of their stuff, is not an easy thing to do. So give yourself some grace. But when you realize that your child's behavior is triggering you, making you upset, making you feel like you're going to have a meltdown or tear your hair out or making you feel super guilty and embarrassed, then you think of strategies that help you calm down. So something I think I shared on a recent podcast was that I've been using this uh, app on my phone that's a 60, like a 60 second app to help you breathe. I guess it's a mindfulness app. I think that might be what it's called. But Doing that for 60 seconds is a pattern interrupt for me that helps me to calm down. It helps me to pull back, whisper a quick prayer, give a quick, you know, take a quick moment to to analyze the situation. Or if I'm really upset, just to breathe and then to do all of those things after my 60 seconds of breathing. But it's been an effective pattern interrupt for me to calm down and to step back. And I've noticed too that my children definitely seem to be a little bit calmer. Now, I don't know if a tantruming toddler would perhaps be calmer if they saw you doing that. Though, again, if you had brought the toddler to that safe place to calm down and you were sitting there, you know, a few feet away from them and and your toddler is carrying on and caterwauling and they see you just sitting there taking however many deep breaths or whatever, they might stop and watch you just out of curiosity So when you feel triggered, think about what you're going to do. And think about especially those public situations because I think those can be triggering. And I also think they can impact you at home because sometimes when we spiral downward at home when there's behavior issues, what's actually going through the back of our mind causing us to be triggered is, oh my gosh, what would other people think 
if they saw this or, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible mom. I can't even control my kids. If people knew what went on in this house and how bad it was and blah, 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 blah. You know, we, or how I don't have it together, you know, that sort of stuff starts to heap up on us. So think about what are pattern interrupts I can do at home and then what can I do at when I'm out and about. I recommend when you're out and about that it be that if your child starts to have a meltdown, if you're feeling really frustrated with things that if possible you leave and go sit out in the car or step out or if that's not possible and you need to just take a moment then take a moment to step away from the group and calm down. And it can be especially hard if you're in a situation where there's older kids who you feel like you're letting down because you've got to take care of this intense little toddler. But I would encourage you that just like my experience at the library, when I stepped away with that child, it was only for a few minutes. And then I was able to get back. And that's another situation where you take those few minutes and you breathe and you let go of the guilt because that's another type of guilt there. Remember, you can't always mother at 100% for any child. And sometimes one child's needs will override another child's needs temporarily. So think about what are your triggers. And then think about a way to deal with those. And I would encourage you especially to do some journaling and that sort of thing. And just realize that you may tell yourself stories about, I'm not a good enough mom, I'm not doing this well enough. But the truth is, is that our imperfections help create resilience in our children. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably already a pretty intentional and conscious mom who is thoughtful and careful with child rearing. You may have some really bad moments because who doesn't? Moms and dads both have bad m- moments. Human beings have bad moments. But you are also working and striving to grow with intention. So think about the stories that you tell yourself and the beliefs that you have and the perspectives that you have and think about shifting those. You know, ask yourself, if I were to let go of this guilt and instead ask myself what I could do to make it better, what would that look like? And if I were to give myself grace in this situation because I know that I'm working to find ways to do it better, what would that look like? You know, those would be a couple different little prompts that you could journal through because part of mothering is self-growth and doing this kind of inner work that helps us become mothers. And so there's the, the strategic inner work, like how can I order my child's day and what's setting my kid off? And then there's also the inner work that's related to our own emotional stuff. And working through that is one of the gifts that motherhood gives us. Okay, so I'm looking through my list. I know that we're pretty pretty late. I had taking care of two or more on my list, but I think that I'm going to skip that because I know that we have we're we're already pretty long here. Um, one thing that I did note was that you know, your toddler wants to help and be connected, but they need a lot of direction. I think a lot of us just kind of let our toddlers wander through the day by default, which is why I recommend routine. And then they also need direction, like they need order to their day. And they they need time with you, but it doesn't necessarily have to be direct time with you. So when I say that they need direction, that doesn't necessarily have to be you telling them what to do or you sitting down to a structured activity with them. It may be more that you're thinking about how to incorporate them in your day. So when you're doing meal preparation, how can your toddler help? It may be that a very young toddler is sitting on the floor playing with plastic cups or Tupperware containers or whatever a mixing bowl and a spoon in the kitchen with you. As they get bigger, it may be that they're doing something like shredding lettuce or other simple things that they can do. And then as you get into the preschool years, they can actually start to learn how to chop vegetables and that sort of thing. My kids love to help make salads. My kids actually are pretty adept and proficient in the kitchen overall. Um, But, you know, you start small. And, like, if you're cleaning, your toddler can take a dust cloth and dust. Um, If you're folding laundry, your toddler can learn to fold washcloths. If you're looking for good resources on what your children can do at young ages, uh, definitely look into resources about like Montessori skills for toddlers and also Waldorf, like early Waldorf education resources. I'll link to a couple of books that are good books about these topics. Because that, even if you aren't necessarily following one of those quote-unquote 
uh, pedagogies or methodologies. They're really inspirational and can help you start to think through things that your little one's capable of, which is probably more than you realize. And some of it may need to be intentionally taught Again, but it allows them to live life along with you and you guys being part of that same nurturing household and that same nurturing routine. And it's not always necessarily direct one-on-one interaction like I'm on the floor playing with you or I'm reading to you. Those things can be there, but it's also part of being part of your life and incorporated into the fabric of family life. So that they're not a loose cannon, which is a term that I've thought to myself a number of times as I've worked on getting our family back on track is Phoenix is a loose cannon. How do I take care of that? So that's another thing that you can consider is incorporating your toddler into your life in toddler appropriate ways, toddler appropriate, but maybe not necessarily toddler centric ways, because that's the way that you know, babies and toddlers have come up throughout time as they're there and that they they being there may mean that they're in a baby carrier or on your back while you're doing certain tasks. But as they start walking, you know, they're kind of trailing around on your apron strings, so to speak, your proverbial apron strings. You may not have a real apron on, nor am I suggesting anything about you needing to be a homemaker or anything. But there's no doubt that being part of the fabric of home life is nurturing to your child. And finding ways to include your child in your home life can be really, really helpful. And that's part, you know, that's part of that routine that I've been talking about. So hopefully some of this has been theoretical. Some of it's been practical. I think I've done that a lot lately, but hopefully this has been helpful to you. I know this episode is long, so I'm going to go ahead and let you go. Definitely check out the show notes for the resources that I've mentioned. If you want more from me, encouragement on healthy pregnancy, birth, baby stuff, mothering, I'm getting ready to, hopefully getting ready to release a course on getting your home organized, go from chaos to calm. I've been working on it. I'm excited about it. Um, If you want to stay up to date on those things, head over to TrustBirth101.com. That's TrustBirth101.com and sign up for the newsletter. With that, I will talk to you soon and hope that you have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.BirthBabyLife.com. Visit www.BirthBabyLife.com.